I'll teach you something. Good morning. Good morning. So it's been a bit since we've podcasted. Yes, it's been a long while. <laughs> but welcome back to I'll Teach You Something. Um, we've been like a little bit absent just because things have been really busy and um, Mike has started working in the early morning, which is typically our window when we um, still have sleeping children. Although some of our children don't <laughs> sleep at all, really. So, like this, uh, child, like this child right here. <laughs> Say so, hello, uh, as usual, you might have um, a little bit of baby sounds while we're talking. It happens. It's part of uh, the casualness of this podcast if you're a new listener. Um, but we still want to try to keep up with it if we can, when we can. But we can't uh, commit to a tight schedule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, not right now. So this podcast is basically, um, we both try to teach each other something and teach you something. So today I'm going to go first, and um, the topic that I want to talk about is kind of a, a weird one, and it's something that I like debunked that I've believed my whole life until I did some research on it. So I'm going to talk about lemmings. So okay, <laughs> lemmings are these cute little vole-like creatures. Um, probably you've only ever heard one thing about them, and that that's that they will follow one another to their death. Off a cliff, yeah. <laughs> Off a cliff. In the video game Lemmings. Um, okay, so I didn't even know but that there was a video game, so yeah. yeah. So essentially, um, I'm here to debunk that myth that Lemmings commit mass suicide as some sort of practice. They don't. It's a total lie. Okay. <laughs> it's a total fabrication. But it's remarkable that basically the entire population believes it, except for, like, scientists. <laughs> so, um, essentially, this legend comes from familiar dark times, Disney. Okay. So, in the 50s, Disney did a documentary that brought this whole idea to the mainstream. Um, and, essentially, the, the lemmings... Um, were featured in this 1958 documentary called White Wilderness. It was part of the studio's True Life Adventure series. Mm. So there was a segment that was featured on Lemmings that was detailing this strange compulsion to commit mass suicide. Um, and so basically this all came to some kind of a, um, you know... Somebody called BS on it, essentially, and that was the CBC in 1983. Um, producer Brian Vallee, he figured out that the whole entire thing was faked. So the lemmings supposedly committing suicide by leaping into the ocean were actually thrown off the cliff by Disney filmmakers. Wow. So this thing that they referred to as the lemming migration, they used careful editing, tight camera angles, and a few dozen lemmings that were running on uh, this weird, like, snow-covered, lazy Susan-type turntable thing. Wow. Um, White Wilderness had been filmed in Alberta, Canada, actually. Um, and so the way that they got the lemmings, there's, there's about 20 lemming species that are found in the circumpolar north. Um, but they're not in Alberta where this documentary was filmed. So the Disney people actually bought the lemmings from Inuit children 
a couple provinces away in Manitoba and they staged the entire sequence. Um, so the documentary goes on, like the narrator is talking about, they have a kind of compulsion that seizes each tiny rodent and they are carried along by an unreasoning hysteria. Each falls into step for a march that will take them to a strange destiny. The destiny being to jump into the quote unquote ocean which is actually what? not even an ocean because <laughs> they're in Alberta. It was more of a stream. Again, it was like tight editing, um, mm. you know, and they said that like they basically they were obsessed with this idea of moving on, moving on, like they couldn't look back or, you know, it was like this weird thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's total nonsense. They don't commit mass suicide um you know like there's there's like obviously a lot of nature documentaries that you have to kind of watch out for like um in even david david attenborough's the life of birds there was like close-up footage of a flying duck um mm -hmm. that was like filmed like you know with their razor sharp you know like um details and it actually was a duck that had been trained to fly alongside the car although that's not as like problematic i think you know in the attenborough series like they're really trying to teach the viewer the finer details of nature like you know what not not lead animals to their death to their death <laughs> yes <laughs> so um basically they figure that this idea came from this kernel of an idea um that was like there there are some sort of cases in nature um where this can happen um it it's more like you know i don't know it, it became kind of this deranged take on migration though it, it it didn't really like there there is no known mass suicide in any kind of animals so um yeah the main reasons that lemmings die are the same as for any other animals like predators food loss habitat loss climate change um and they they're kind of cool actually because they're every year they can increase their population by a factor of 10 um and they're they're very similar in their habits like moose beaver any other animals they can swim um they they can swim as part of their migration to find like greener pastures sometimes they drown normally um yeah, but this um this documentary, so they called it. I'm trying to remember like it even won like an award for, you know, so for, you know, being a great documentary until it was like, you know, called out. So yeah, they um what else can I say about them? Um I mean, I guess it's a compliment to be called that's, a lemming. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty much the only thing uh, that, that lemmings are known for in, like, you know, our world is just basically, like, jumping like, to their death. Don't so be a lemming. I want, yeah, so I wanted to, uh, you know, get up on the water tower and spray paint over their name because they they don't deserve that reputation. Well, thank you. <laughs> and actually, they're pretty cute. If you have a minute, look up a picture of... You know, I don't even uh, know what a lemming looks like. A, well, I'll show you All right, while please. we're here. See, they kind of look like a, a hamster guinea yeah, pig kind of guy. Yeah, they look like a hamster, guy. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they've gotten a bad rap, for sure. I don't sure. know what the heck people were thinking of. They typically live in Alaska and in northern countries. They like tundra and open grasslands. Like, they're just these cute little guys. 
So I have absolutely no idea why this was faked, but yeah, <laughs> Disney being Disney, I guess. Oh yeah, well, maybe on Disney Plus they'll they'll put it on Disney Plus <laughs> and they'll put a like a a cue card like they've been doing with all their early stuff. Yeah, talking about well, it was a very different time back then. <laughs> We're sorry about the lemmings. <laughs> yeah, I hope they do because that deserves an apology. Yeah, it's probably coming. Don't worry. Poor lemmings. We'll uh, we'll send them an angry message. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for teaching me something. Um, You're welcome. So my topic was kind of weird, and it got really broad. Take this. Kid. All right. Let me hand you the child. Hello, kiddo. So. I wanted to find out why food, like mass-marketed food, tastes differently around the world, or does it at all? And um, I think there are things that are obvious reasons for why food tastes differently around the world. People have different palates. People, you know, have different uh, tastes. Um, but there are some not-so-obvious things that make very commercially widely available food tastes differently around the world. So I could do a million different foods, but the two foods that I kind of narrowed it down to are two things that are universally available pretty much anywhere. And that would be Coca-Cola and common white bread, sliced white bread. So those things are available everywhere. Um, and there are people that say and swear up and down that Coca-Cola tastes differently here and there. Uh, one of the big things is like, oh, Mexican Coke is way better than American Coke because they use natural sugar. Cane sugar. Yeah, cane yeah. sugar or something. Um, I've traveled to places like the Philippines and I've had Coca-Cola there. And yeah, it does taste a little differently. Um, but, you know, there was no... I, I wasn't able to do like a side-by-side -side comparison <laughs> of Filipino Coke versus American Coke. But uh, one of the reasons why it does taste differently around the world, and it does, is a couple of things. Um, so Coca-Cola, you know, is licensed and uh, bottling companies from around the world get these licensings to make Coca-Cola. The general flavor profile of coca-cola always remains the same the things that are different around the world are the levels of carbonation and the type of sweetener that they use so in the u.s and canada high fructose corn syrup is the number one thing that they use for sweeteners around the world like mexican coke cane sugar uh some places use caramel um to flavor their their coca-cola so those two things. I mean, does it have something to do with just the huge um, manipulative uptake of corn syrup in the North American market? Like, well, you know? corn syrup is widely available in the North American market market because yeah. the abundance of corn that we grow. Um, you know, in other places, sugar is more easily and widely available, especially in tropical countries. Mm -hmm. um, where it's easier to get and it's cheaper for them. Like we've, we have a, you know, the U S specifically has tariffs that they put on that makes sugar exceptionally expensive. 
Uh, uh, in comparison to corn syrup. Honestly, like, not to sound like a paranoid, but, like, it's all part of a... It's honestly all part of a marketing strategy with corn syrup. Well, yeah, I mean, again, like, I think there is maybe some underlying things there, but it's strictly economics because you're thinking about corn syrup. Like, the, the amount of corn that America grows alone is outpaces most every other country Mm -hmm. if not it's it's probably at the very tippy top um but uh they have tariffs to protect american sugar growers um that makes foreign sugar way more expensive but sugar is way cheap if you go to you know tropical countries Mm -hmm. that grow sugar cane quite easily you know you have to have a certain uh climate for it um so those two things are probably the primary reasons why coke may taste a little differently the packaging itself also affects uh the taste of coke uh glass bottles being the most iconic of the coca-cola brand uh are the most inert uh in terms of affecting anything that could affect the flavor of coca-cola um all cans and i mean i guess cans is probably the main other method i don't think there's any other um, there are no tetra packs. Yeah, there's no tetra packs of Coke. So, <laughs> but cans are lined with uh, a, a plastic. This just honestly makes me think about my childhood adventure in trying to be a good kid. Okay. <laughs> so there was this one morning. I was probably like eight years old, and my parents were still in bed. And my parents, like, I would wake up really early, and my parents had this like big plastic, like container it was like a big square it was the kind of thing you would take to like a family picnic and you'd put like maybe punch in in like the 80s and it had like one of those push down lever um you know dispensers on the front like a like a yeah like a juice container a big juice container and it had a huge capacity like we never ever filled it i i think my like my aunt used to put like her gin slush in it or something i like i remember as a kid but like my parents had bought like a 24 pack of coca-cola um and so being the helpful child that i was while my parents were asleep i opened the entire 24 cans of coke and poured all of them into this enormous like plastic square container and I remember having to move, like, the shelves in the fridge to, like, get it in there. And then I got it so full and I thought, like, oh, man, I better put this in the fridge. It's going to be too heavy to, once I put all 24 cans in here. So, like, halfway through, I, like, jankily lifted it up and shoved it in the fridge <laughs> and got it ready. And then continued on my crack fizz mission to get them into the, you know, into yeah. the fridge. So. Then I was done. I got everything in. All 24 cans fit, like, just barely in this huge container. Closed it off and got it in the fridge. And I was, like, so impressed with myself. So then my parents got up. And I was, like, waiting for the moment, like, they were going to open the fridge to get, like, milk for their coffee. And they would see, like, oh, I did this nice thing. And, yeah, my mom's like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like... It's a Coke dispenser. Like, I put all the... I was so proud of myself. And my mom's like, great. Okay, well, they're all going to go flat. Um, but okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the carbonation would definitely leave that so, yeah. quite quickly. Not it's because probably... of the plastic bottle, because 
You just put it in a container, a loose container. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> the thing... I guess plastic bottles, I, I forgot to mention plastic bottles itself, they're permeable, right? Yeah. So they do lose carbonation over time. And another thing is that both glass and both plastic are clear mm -hmm. uh, in, in color, typically, uh, depending on, you know, different sodas. But for Coca-Cola, it's clear. Um, and if it's in sunlight, it breaks down. Um, so... So that can affect the flavoring. Obviously, the time, the freshness of the Coca-Cola can also affect the f flavoring as well. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know what fresh Coke tastes like, uh, aside from going to a bottling factory and <laughs> making it yourself with, or going to a soda jerk, you know, <laughs> if those exist <laughs> Let's anymore. Let's go back to the 50s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the best way that you can taste the freshest Coke that you can get uh, here in North America would be to go to a McDonald's. And McDonald's and Coca-Cola have been partnered for a very long time. Um, not sponsored. Not sponsored, but uh, by either Coca-Cola or McDonald's. But uh, I used to work at McDonald's when I was a, when I was a kid. It was my first job. Um, and I used to do truck. And one of the things that you get delivered is the syrup. Uh, for the beverages at the fountain drinks. Um, we got all the other drinks like Sprites and the, I don't know, what was at the time, High C Orange and all the other one, Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. uh, you got those in these big, you know, syrup containers, which were like these... They were labeled, do not change until too late, and you've yeah. already given at least two customers <laughs> garbage water. Yeah, basically... So we got all those in like these boxes, right? They were like maybe three gallon syrup boxes mm -hmm. and they were heavy as hell because I, I remember you used to doing truck and I had to unload all the trucks, you know, French fries and all that. And that was probably one of the most dreaded things to pick up because they're about 40, 50 pounds of syrup and sugar, right? So, mm -hmm. and we had to put these on these special racks, but the Coca-Cola was delivered differently. Right, mm -hmm. so they have a big giant uh, stainless steel container, okay, that they keep the syrup in. So, and they also, you know, have they also carbonate the 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 water that's right there, you know, uh, good to go. So, so the the syrup containers, I mean, the the syrup is probably less than a couple of weeks old when it gets to a McDonald's. Okay, so mm. McDonald's itself and it. And it's food science, because um, they're known for consistency around the world. Um, they've also made a correct ratio of ice. So ice to syrup and water in their cups uh, to make the most optimum flavor mm. uh, for Coca-Cola. And they also even designed the straw to be extra wide. This is probably one of the reasons why you don't see paper straws at McDonald's right now. And while all the other uh, fast food joints are turning over to paper, it's because they've designed the straw specifically to uh, to draw more Coke faster <laughs> into your mouth and across your palate to make it taste even better. Into the IV. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, With your diabetes medication. One of the memes that you always see, too, is like uh, crispy Sprite, right? Like if you go to McDonald's, the Sprite is just that much crispier. It's because they have a syrup to, to water ratio that's a little bit higher than where you would get in regular standard 
um, just bottled Sprite or Coke. Weird. So Yeah, so if you want to taste the freshest Coke that you can, go to a McDonald's. I mean, otherwise, go to, you know, a bottling plant. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to me that, uh, that they've, they've done this, but, like, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's good. It's good to know. Um, and the other thing that I looked up was bread, um, just simple white bread. And you always hear these things about North American bread being sweeter than other breads. Mm-hmm. And there's truth to that. Of course. So, we are pumped sugar like weird farm animals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's towards the North American taste of wanting a little bit of a sweeter bread. Right. Um, sugar itself is, uh, it helps yeast in the process to, to, uh, you know, to ferment. Sugar feeds yeast. Yeah, sugar feeds mm-hmm. yeast. So, the addition of sugar helps in the process of making the bread. Um, and it's also a cheap, like, preservative for the bread as well to keep the bread uh, on shelves for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference between North American bread and, and something like a British bread or a UK bread is um, the bread in the UK, they don't use nearly as much sugar. Mm-hmm. They use, uh, they have this process of making bread called the Chorleywood process, which uses double the yeast of typically what you would use in North America for bread. And they use all sorts of different food science of, you know, amino acids and fats and different things to create, you know, their mass marketed bread. So that's why bread is less sweet than, you know, typical North American bread. So... Yeah, there is truth to that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, in a lot of places, like, I mean, I don't know. Bread is like a, it's used like a fibrous, texturous part of the diet. It's not meant to be like so, like, I guess whatever, you know, Parisian beautiful bread is, a lot of the world doesn't even use bread that way. Bread is more of just kind of a, I don't know, like a, textural kind of like you know like the bread that our doctors tell us to eat kind of bread but uh yeah it doesn't surprise me it's sweeter for sure oh yeah and even even like the most whole wheat all grain kind of commercially available bread in north america has tons of sugar in it yeah in comparison it's not even honestly healthy like when you buy bread that says just whole wheat it doesn't even have any real higher fiber or anything it's like it's just brown in color it doesn't have the whole grain it's not healthy but i mean what freaks me out about like bagged bread like the wonder brand and those kind of bagged sliced bread is just how it takes very little to make it not bread at all just to turn it right back into dough like you literally can just take your hand and just mush it and and you just have this doughy gluteny nasty like ball again like it's so funny like how yeah it's like barely bread you know yeah like without all that air and you know perfect handling conditions it's just this block of gross stuff yeah i mean and it's and it's and it's to the palate of you know whoever wants to eat it right it's like it's a it's a special kind of bread like i honestly kind of hate it because i feel like it's been ingrained into our like our nostalgia for like 
PB and J sandwiches and grilled cheese and stuff like that. Like I would love to cut that completely out of my life, that kind of bread. <laughs> but like there's this every now and then there's this childhood haunting that's like, hey, tomato <laughs> soup and grilled cheese. Or like, you know you wanna have a PB and J on a picnic or like a peanut butter and honey sandwich. Like all oh, those things like, you know, there's delicious. also there's also this weird thing I have with like ham. Uh, like, like black forest ham, one slice only, mayo, um, like a, a processed cheese slice, and iceberg lettuce. And that's just in, in that white bread. And then you have, to, a magical sandwich. you have to wrap it in plastic or something, and you have to put it in the lunchbox for half a day. And then when you <laughs> yeah, when take it's nice it out, it, it's like, it's still slightly cool. The cheese has like gotten more liquidy or mushy or something, yeah, and it's, it's bonded itself to the ham it's for the rest of the It's a soft rubber texture, yeah. <laughs> and like, but like the lettuce is still crispy there's just something about that that's like you know elementary school lunch that i will always like want i i I like the smell of it it's like the dumbest thing but like yeah yeah and see that's the thing like when i was first thinking about this like just trying to figure this out is that you know there's a lot of those kind of stories Mm -hmm. anecdotal kind of personal stories about our connections with food which makes them taste or seem a lot different than what they are like you know my favorite are the ones that like you know the people you went to high school with like now that we're all adults and we talk about how poor we were like some people would eat like tang on that bread or like white sugar on that bread (laughs) like you can hear some real poverty stories but we laugh at them now (laughs) yeah (laughs) in this existential way of being 40 you know it's just yeah i mean yeah you have (laughs) fond memories of different food and you know with halloween coming up you know it's like you you remember these candies, this nostalgic candy, and you eat it as an adult, and you're like, why did I like this? What is this? Yeah, the candy kiss being the one that's getting the most flack right now. I don't know. There's, there's something funny about those, though. Like, you know, I I remember there being this really good candy kiss that was really molasses-y. Like, I, I really liked it. But now, like, there's other ones that are, like, more corn syrup. They're lighter in color, and they're not as good as those ones that I had. Like, I don't know. As an adult, I've bought those every now and then. They're in, like, the Halloween wrapping paper, like, you know. And every time I open them, I'm like, you're not the one. And then I eat it with this, like, sore tooth look on my face. And I'm just like... Well, because it's so rock hard. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. and they It's got to be soft. It's got to be fresh. They get more and more horrible over time. And I remember... Not long ago, you and I did a dumb experiment. Like, it wasn't even intended to be. It was just like, let's use up things in this old baking cupboard. And there was, like, a bag of old candy kisses, and we decided to use them instead of marshmallows in some, like... Oh, that was a failed experiment. (laughs) In, like, a Rice Krispie Treat type thing, but there was other cereal in it. I think there was Cheerios in it. Cheerios? Because I had to use up Cheerios. We were using up all those cereal boxes. horrible. And, like, what happened was, like, they became came rock hard literally hockey puck or use them to it was hammer it <laughs> like, it was bulletproof at we, least and like we were trying to be like you know like well we made these we're gonna eat at least one of them and like they literally would break your teeth off so don't do that <laughs> yeah don't don't clear out your pantry that way and i just remember if like you have those candy kisses just throw them, <laughs> throw them out away just and like staring at mike as i chiseled this thing out of my pan and i'm like throwing it in the trash like why did you do this and so yeah lessons learned i was just trying to be economical uh, yeah 
But yeah, I think that's a wrap for today. So thank you for teaching me something. You're welcome. And uh, so go ahead, be a lemming. Don't let people tell you you can't be. Drink some fresh Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Eat some bread. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> and we will try to record a little more frequently, yeah. assuming children in the universe let us. Yep. Bye. Bye. I taught you something.